In a world of uncertainty, one thing is for sure. Cancer doesn't stop during a global crisis. On Saturday, June 13th, the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society will host a trailblazing event, Big Virtual Climb, sponsored by AbbVie, to support their investment in groundbreaking research to advance blood cancer cures and its first-in-class patient education and services, including financial support and clinical trial navigation. Step up to take cancer down by climbing 61 floors or 1,762 steps. Inside or outside, on stairs, on the road, or your treadmill, climb your way. Join them for an opening ceremony and then take on your climb with their heart-pumping playlist. Join them on June 13th from coast to coast as they come together to climb, conquer, cure. Register at lls.org slash bigclimb. All right, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back into another episode of the Buffalo Beat here. Thank you for joining us, however you're doing so, whether it's on the Athletic Podcast Network or otherwise, we appreciate your support. And uh, if you are listening on one of the free avenues, please be sure to rate, subscribe, and uh, comment. So um, another week has gone by of the uh, virtual offseason, and... Thankfully, from a Bills perspective, there was no players getting in the news for the wrong reasons. And so it was a it was a time where both Matthew Fairburn and I took the time over on The Athletic to go over some of the rookies that are coming into town. And it's a bit of a different draft class and year for rookies than most years because it is such a veteran-heavy roster that the potential impact for a lot of these guys aren't great. And in fact, all of those, a lot of those sleepers that you normally get from one year to the next to make the back end of the roster, the competition is so intense this year for roster spots that it, it might not happen. But no matter what, regardless of having smaller roles or whatnot, I think it's a good practice to try and figure out who these guys could be in their first years and then maybe even beyond that so Matthew Fairburn I know you wrote a, a couple of articles this week on uh, on on the receivers that the the Bills brought in and uh, that being Gabriel Davis in the fourth round out of Central Florida and Isaiah Hodgins out of Oregon State so I wonder from from the conversations with people that know, knew those two guys which one of those really kind of stands out and we'll get to Epinesa and all those other guys uh, later on in the pod, but uh, I think I think uh, the receivers are especially interesting to us. Yeah, I I hesitate to go this far, but I'm almost more intrigued by Isaiah Hodgins than Gabriel Davis uh, in some ways as a player. Um, what he does as a receiver, I think, translates really well. I think sometimes we get caught up in traits and you know Isaiah Hodgins is not the fastest guy on the planet but he's already so far along in what he does as a route runner and his ability to catch the football I mean simple things right like running routes and catching the football uh, they should Mm -hmm. be simple he makes them look simple and he made some just crazy crazy catches at Oregon State and I think so much of that 
could translate to an immediate role in the red zone uh, if they choose to to put him in that spot. I, I feel a lot more confident than I did, you know, a few weeks ago before I uh, dove in, you know, a, a little bit deeper that this guy belongs on the roster. It's going to be tough, obviously, with the the way the offseason is and, you know, rookies having to make that jump. But this is a guy who I would say has the chance to make the jump because he's, he's not facing that learning curve uh, in terms of running routes and understanding um, how he fits into an offense, understanding how to set up defenders, all those things that take some time to learn. I feel like he's farther along in those areas than Gabriel Davis. While Gabriel Davis might be a bit more physically gifted in terms of burst and things like that, I like. I, I think Hodgins is quicker than he is fast. He's got better hands than they, I think he might have. He had some of the best hands in the entire draft. So it's not a. He did. Yes. It's not a slight on Gabriel Davis to say that Hodgins has better hands. I think the big takeaway for me is that the gap between those two players is not what you would normally see uh, in a player drafted in the fourth round and a player drafted in the sixth round. It's more good news about Hodgins than it is bad news about Davis, and it's a huge you know, another sign and more evidence to what we and everybody else uh, in the NFL world talked about for the last few months. And that's how deep that wide receiver class was. Um, You know, the, I I don't think it's a a case of, Oh, I I think Isaiah Hodgins might be better than Gabriel Davis. That means Gabriel Davis, you know, I don't like him. I, I think it's just, this was a really deep receiver class and the gap between those two guys is not what you would expect uh, I don't think anybody would have bat- batted an eye if if Hodgins was a fourth or fifth round pick. Uh, that's just the way the draft got at receiver on day three was there's a, a you know a big group of guys all in a pretty similar tier. Yeah, I I, I liked Hodgins quite a bit when when watching him, and um, I think for him his biggest difficulty will be in trying to figure out how to consistently separate. At the NFL level, which is something that uh, obviously someone that that he's going to be battling for a roster spot, Duke Williams struggles with as well. I mean, they're they're not completely similar prospects, but their struggles are similar, or at least that struggle is similar between them. And I think where Hodgins discerns himself ahead of, let's say, Duke Williams here, who would be gunning to be that backup uh, Z receiver um, behind. Digs in this case that's that's who would be lining up there mostly but the what Williams struggles with actually kind of underratedly is some of these high profile contested catches that he didn't come down with it wasn't always a sure thing with him and with Hodgins that's where the hands come into play and I I do also think that Hodgins is a bit more elusive than than Duke Williams which get, probably gives him a leg up I think and, he's more in control if that makes sense yeah Duke Williams yeah, it absolutely is, does Duke Williams is physical he's fearless he's tenacious he he will go and get the football he's got enough athletic tools but he's not he doesn't always Nuanced. seem to be in control of right. his movements and um, you know, in tune with what he's doing. Isaiah Hodgins is very efficient in that way. He's uh, you know, talking to his receivers coach at Oregon State, he 
you know, he acknowledged the speed issue and the, the need to, you know, obviously get separation is, um, you know, going to be tougher in the NFL and there's a learning curve for everybody. But he said he, he's not necessarily slow. Um, and you could probably say the same about Duke Williams. They probably have similar speed uh, where neither one is necessarily running by you consistently. But yeah, Hodgins, that. Hodgins has a better chance to get open consistently because he is quicker in and out of his breaks and, and a little bit more in control of his body when he goes up. Some of the, you know, I, I asked his position coach um, about, you know, just catches that, that stood out, which I was glad I did because when I went back and watched him, um, and you could, I probably could have, you know, put together a longer list because he made some some crazy catches, but there's one against Stanford where he's running sort of an in-breaking route, like a slant down near the goal line, and the ball is thrown way behind him, but he's so long and mm. and has such you know awareness about his body that he just adjusted and made practically a one-handed catch behind his body in traffic for a touchdown and you know he pointed out that one he pointed out one against Arizona State which is completely unspectacular to the naked eye if you're watching the game but when you go back and watch and and kind of focus on what his coach was talking about with his feet you know he really just had the the Arizona State defender on skates it was a five yard out Uh, There's only so many things he can do with five yards of field and the cornerback should know that. And yet he still undressed him um, with his footwork and got open for the touchdown. So for a bigger guy, a tall, long guy, the ability to, you know, make himself available in tight spaces and to make the most of that, it's a little bit more efficient uh, than Duke Williams. It's, uh, you know, he's, advanced in in spots that we often think are places where these receivers can make big jumps and sometimes they can but the bills are in a spot with duke williams and robert foster where they're waiting for them both to make jumps in some of these areas that i think hodgins already has you know the ability to control yourself in traffic and and make plays i mean robert foster has had trouble with that even when he was you know on fire uh, in in his rookie season, you saw some of those those situations where physicality was required, or um, you know a little bit of a contested grab was needed, and and he would struggle. And um, you know, in terms of the the footwork and the the efficiency in and out of his breaks, um, he's farther along than Duke Williams. So in in some ways, um, those guys are. And you know, you look, and he's already working with Josh Allen. He already did, and. California and then flew down to Florida. A bunch of them are working out. So um, he's certainly not afraid to work and not afraid to, to jump right in there. I, I think he's got um, he's got some interesting tools to work with. And I don't think he's going to be as behind the eight ball as you would expect a sixth round rookie receiver to be in an offseason like this one. Yeah. Like I said, I like Hodgins. I, I wonder and I don't know that Duke Williams is necessarily going to be competition for him. I, I think it's more so just a numbers crunch at that wide receiver spot because something's going to have to give here uh, because I don't know that they're going to be in a situation where they can necessarily keep seven wide receivers. They could, but they would have to sacrifice at a different position entirely. So Hodgins, if they were to only keep six receivers because the the top four, because they're not going to cut Gabriel Davis since he was a fourth round pick, they could, but I, I would kind of doubt that. Uh, the top four is, of course, Diggs, John Brown, Cole Beasley, 
Gabriel Davis that are absolute locks. And then from there, you have Isaiah McKenzie, who started more games than he didn't last year, um, and Andre Roberts, who's their return guy. So Hodgins would either need to, if there's only six wide receivers, either needs to beat Isaiah McKenzie for a spot or needs someone that's already predicted to be on the roster to beat Andre Roberts to be that return person. Now, keeping seven isn't necessarily a, a, a bad notion, but that's sacrificing potentially a ninth defensive lineman or a ninth offensive lineman or, you know, another spot that they could really use for a player that would likely be inactive most weeks on on game day it's just he's going to have to earn it that that's all i'm trying to say and i like him i think he's got potential i wonder if they could sneak sneak him onto the practice squad i i kind of have my doubts with that but there's all of these different traits to his game that make you go okay this is a, a solid developmental z receiver that could project um as a a spot starter or a fourth wide receiver into the future for when you need him because they don't they don't need him to contribute this year. I guess I guess that's the whole point of it and that's that could be why his spot could be in jeopardy with especially how much Isaiah McKenzie brings to the table um with jet sweeps and bringing on some versatility uh from that perspective. Yeah, I think the beauty of the situation for both of these receivers that they drafted is that they don't need them right away. I, I think that's yeah the best possible thing for Gabriel Davis, who's going to have to get used to running more routes than he did. Not necessarily, I, I don't think it's a case of Gabriel Davis not being able to run more routes than right. he did. He just didn't. Um, you know, he was just in one spot in UCF's offense and that's where they played him and and that's what they did. But he certainly has the ability to do it. And um, but you find, I think, a common thread with both of these guys. It's not a surprise at this point. These are the types of guys that uh, we look at before the draft because they're the type of guys that the Bills are after is the guys that either have you know, a, an exceptional work ethic, uh, exceptional smarts, or some combination of the two. Uh, and I think Davis and Hodgins are a good example of that. Um, both big time workers, you know, first guys in the building type of guys, but also the smarts, I think, um, Hodgins certainly displays in his game. And I think you can see it more and more with Davis as his career went on. Uh, he started mm -hmm. to understand, uh, how to use his body and, and what his sort of differentiators were to, uh, make him successful. So he's, you know, it, it was cool watching, um, him, train with Brandon Marshall before the draft, um, another UCF alum and, um, you know, mid round pick, same type of deal. Uh, but the, the physical nature that he plays with is definitely something that, um, will, you know, people will like to watch, uh, you know, the fact that he's a guy that wants the ball on fourth and two or third and three, you know, over the middle, um, said his a slant is his favorite route to run on fourth and two because he just wants the ball. Um, and he's tough to bring down when he has it. So he's a, definitely a different flavor than Hodgins, but a guy that is fairly explosive and could provide that element in spots in his rookie year, but he doesn't need to play. Neither does right. Hodgins. You know, they have their top three cemented, um, barring injury. 
And then, yeah, it's a, like you said, it's a matter of what they want their offense to look like, what pieces they want to use, what they want to be able to do. And Isaiah McKenzie could fit into that. It's a, it, you could almost see a clearer path to the roster for a guy like Isaiah McKenzie than a, a Robert Foster or a Duke Williams, because he brings something oh, yeah, different absolutely. to the table. Uh, he's, you know, he has his niche and uh, it's not necessarily, he's not going to be lining up uh, out, out wide and, um, necessarily, you know, going over the the middle for the in, in the red zone or something like that. But he's got his niche in the offense, and it's something that's been somewhat important to them uh, in the last few years. So unless they can find somebody else to to play that role, um, he's kind of it. So I, mm-hmm. I think you know that's where, and even you could say the same about Andre Roberts, if only because of his. Um, return ability. So uh, I, I think sometimes when you have a certain niche, um, it's easier to make a roster that way than if you're just competing to be uh, a good wide receiver. And Foster's a good special teams player too, but um, I think that's more easily replaced than what Roberts and McKenzie can bring. Yeah, Foster's spot on special teams was uh, spoken for the minute they signed Taiwan Jones this offseason. So I, I honestly, I don't even think that it's a matter of uh, Foster or Duke Williams having a uh, an upside to make the team. They they essentially were replaced by the two draft picks. They they drafted the X receiver, which was Robert Foster's position in Gabriel Davis. And Foster is not going to make the team over Gabriel Davis. And they drafted a Z receiver in Isaiah Hodgins. And very likely Duke Williams is not going to make the team over Isaiah Hodgins when both when Hodgins is on that four year deal and has developmental traits and Duke is a little bit of an older prospect and struggles in some areas that Hodgins excels in. I I don't necessarily think it that that's uh, much of a debate, but the McKenzie thing is interesting to me. I mean, Davis is is a fun player to watch and, you know, the the limited routes was right on and I'm with you I don't think it's a matter of him not being able to do it but it was essentially him being in that x receiver role on the left side of the formation about 98 percent of the time and running either a go route a slant a comeback or a curl and occasionally a post I mean doesn't have that full route tree didn't have to do too many nuanced things but there were some parts to his game that i really liked and thought could translate to the next level which was how he was able to set up defenders and and break them down where when he squares up I think that's a strength of his game but he does need a little bit more uh, fine-tuning when it comes to getting in and out of his breaks on on uh, comeback and curl routes because I, I felt he was a little bit too predictable with with that stuff but he does a great job especially when he squares up and and shakes down the defender to get down the field which is how he gets the separation because he's not a burner like what do you run like a four five or something along those lines four five he's four. not yeah he's not a burner per se but there is a lot to be said for a player that can get away from uh, press coverage and be able to shake down a defender well enough to gain the separation down the field and to extend the separation once he's down the field. Now, a couple of areas once he does that that he needs to get better is 
He needs to be able to come down with contested catches more often than he does, especially for a bigger guy, because that will help him get on the field and potentially be more than just a a fourth wide receiver. And I think he also needs to have a better awareness of where his feet are, because there were too many occasions where he could have come away with a pretty good sized uh, gain for his offense. And even in college, when he only needed one foot down, he couldn't even do that when the ball was clearly in a spot where he could get one or possibly even two feet down. Uh, These are things, these are definite things he needs to work on over time. And the one area I think that he could potentially supplant Isaiah McKenzie and make him expendable, I think there's something to be said for Davis in the jet sweep game. Um, He's got enough speed to do that. He's not quick quick like uh like McKenzie but I do think he brings more in terms of yards after contact than McKenzie does that he can extend some of these plays that McKenzie couldn't and that could potentially replace that part of that role and uh, still keep that within Brian Dable's offense which also frees up the spot for Isaiah Hodgins to make the team ahead of McKenzie if they only keep six but but yeah I, I I like both guys they both have upside and if if Davis hits I think he could be um down the line, a a second option in uh, on a team. Not saying he's going to get there. Not not predicting that. But if he uh, really bears down and is able to come away with all of these different uh, uh, all of those different elements that he's kind of struggling with coming into the pros, then I think he's got a shot to become a starter down the line. Yeah, and I, I think the jet sweep aspect is interesting. I think the other thing they have in terms of flexibility that could hurt. Isaiah McKenzie is that they now have two running backs who I think present similar skill sets in a way there, you know, Zach Moss is certainly a more direct runner, uh, whereas Singletary is more of a, a make you miss kind of guy, but you can put them on the field at the same time and, uh, do some different things if you want to get creative and Singletary is a good enough pass catcher where you can line him up in the slot um, you know, and do some different things with him and, and get pretty creative if you want to replace what, what McKenzie gave. And, and I think you're right that Davis can do a little bit of that. Stefan Diggs can probably do a little bit of that. It's an interesting setup on offense because we now get to see just how Brandon Bean, you know, get to see some of his chops as a, an evaluator of wide receiver talent because mm-hmm. to this point in Brandon Bean's tenure as general manager, he hasn't really taken the the swing at wide receiver uh, and and really um, you know tried to to find a guy. And this offseason presented a, a case where everybody knew it was a great draft for receivers. He had to balance that fact with the need for immediate help and goes out and gets and identifies Stefan Diggs as a guy who could be the number one that they build their passing offense around. And, you know, then was sort of self-aware enough of the roster that they had and the players on the roster to dip into the the depth of, of the class and find two guys who, uh, they're not perfect, that's why they went on day three, but have some traits that could translate if developed properly. And I think they now have more invested in either guy than they, they did in Duke Williams and Robert Foster. Mm-hmm. And so that Absolutely. certainly puts, puts the onus on Williams and Foster to be, you know, guys that step up in a huge way. They should have 
the leg up in terms of knowing the offense, having a relationship with the quarterback. But uh, like I said, these are Gabriel Davis and Isaiah Hodgins both have now, you know, worked out with Josh Allen on at least two occasions. It's not going to make up for years, uh, a couple years of practice um, or, you know, two years of practice and, and games in Robert Foster's case and a year in Duke Williams case, but uh, it's, it's a start. And, you know, those guys are, are talented players that are, they're going to put the work in and, and find a way to make sure they're not too far behind the curve whenever these guys can get back on the field. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. Um, now elsewhere on the offense, I think, I think by now, everybody has a pretty good handle on what Zach Moss is. So, um, you know, he's, he's going to factor into the offense this year, what he could be, all of those things. And I'm sure there'll be, be time for that, but I'm kind of inclined to go into some of the, the other prospects that are coming to the bills this year. And that being along the offensive line, because they didn't draft one this off season. And I think they wanted to, <laughs> But they they never found themselves in a spot where they could or they could trade up to get one. I think they were looking for an interior player. If if uh, you know if my hypotheses are are correct, then uh, then it would have added some competition on the inside potentially. But be it as it may, they had to go to the undrafted realm, and with that being um, three guys: Trey Adams from uh, from Washington. There's Brandon Walton from Florida Atlantic, who is Devin Singletary's old teammate, and uh, Marquel Harrell from Auburn. These three guys, um, I don't think that Walton has a great chance to make the team, but the the interesting one here is Trey Adams. And because of his story being one of, uh, perceived to be, after his first year at Washington, um, perceived to be a potential first round pick and then the following year in 2017 has an injury following after that has another injury um, knee and back injuries and after that he came back and played a full season this year uh, but obviously went undrafted for a bevy of reasons certainly on field play being one of them but the injuries and the concerns over the injuries being another but he's a guy that uh, should definitely be a part of that that makes where you go, okay, what undrafted player has a chance to make the team? And then you have Adams right there as potentially that developmental offensive lineman in lieu of not being able to draft one. And they didn't sign a lot of undrafted free agents either. Right. So yeah. you're, you know, they, they kind of, I think, recognize that it's not going to be easy to make this team. And they seem to put, um, you know, some eggs in that, that offensive line basket by, you know, it's Trey Adams and everybody else in, in the undrafted yeah. class in a lot of ways in terms of name recognition or, you know, it's c- kind of the top end guys. I think there's some potential in a few of the other players, but, uh, Trey Adams stands out because of, you know, the pedigree and, and who he was early in his career. I think the question becomes what he's going to to look like when he, when he gets to Buffalo, uh, what type of shape is he going to be in, uh, physically and conditioning wise? Um, you know, the injuries he had certainly set him back and I don't think the combine did him a ton of favors. Um, he didn't get, um, he didn't look to be in, in the best shape. And I think part of that was, you know, coming off the injuries, 
how he trained. Um, I, I think he switched trainers um, and switched training methods a little bit after the combine leading up to uh, the pro day. But he's, you know, it's all right there. Um, you know, the, the the ability and the potential that he has, you can mm-hmm. see it um, when, you know, you could certainly see it early in his career at Washington. And so, again, another guy that's in a pretty good situation where he does not have to, you know, step in and play right away. Uh, and, you know, he's a guy that they can develop. The question is, as it is with most of the guys late rounds and bottom of the roster, are they able to keep him on the practice squad or do they have to keep him on the 53 to keep him around? Mm-hmm. Maybe they have to keep him on the 53 um, to do that, but he might be worth it depending on what he shows and what he looks like um, when he gets into town because uh, the way that he plays is right up their alley on the offensive line, uh, especially when he's healthy. Uh, the, the power that he has um, and the way that he moves is a nice combination. Um, he just didn't move that way. Uh, as much later in his career because of some of the injuries yeah and that's that's going to be a hang-up I think I mean dead on he he plays the brand of offensive line they're looking for he wants to bury people and every now and again from his stuff from last year he looked like the same guy before the back and the knee injuries Um, but it was too often where you're just watching him and it's almost like you kind of hurt for him because he's just laboring so hard, especially when he's trying to get, when he's trying to pull out in front of screens, when he's trying to get to the second level to, to put a hat on another uh, defender. Like he's just wasn't quick enough to do those things. And if those are going to be basic functions of, uh, of the bills offense and what they want their offensive tackles to do, that's going to be a real concern for him moving forward, and that's the part that he has to show that he can uh, that he can balance, and that he that it's not too big of a liability in his game to where they just don't think he's he's worth the juice is worth the squeeze at that point. But there is one thing we do know about Brandon Bean, and that this is a general manager that loves to hoard offensive lineman on the back of his roster last year he kept 10 while and before he kept 10 he traded away Wyatt Teller and Russell Bodine got three picks for those two guys who were never going to start for them in 2019 so if there was a guy a a a GM that understands the value of perhaps even inconsequential offensive lineman it's Bean because he knows how desperate teams get for competent offensive linemen. And he learned his lesson the hard way after they uh, they lost both Ike Butker uh, off waivers uh, the one year. And I believe it was the same year. I can't remember. It was a center. He got scooped up by Dallas. I can't remember his name. But I know get, losing both from, of the— Was that the kid from Harvard? I think it was. I can't remember what what his name was. Uh, for the life of me right now, but I'm going to um, figure it out. You keep talking. Yeah. Yeah. I will keep talking. Uh, but after losing on both of those guys, the, ne- the next year he started hoarding those offensive linemen like he did. Uh, and I do know that he was especially bummed out when Connor McDermott got scooped up uh, 
in the middle of the season when they when they cut him to bring up Duke Williams. And I, th- I think the Bills really wanted to bring back Connor McDermott to their practice squad, but because of this craze for offensive linemen, um, the Jets scooped him up and McDermott wound up starting a few games. And uh, it might be a, a back-end uh, reserve player for them this year. So it's all there for Trey Adams. I don't think it's uh, necessarily a shoe-in that he makes the team. I think he's going to need to beat somebody, whether it be Daryl Williams, Ike Butker, uh, Ryan Bates, a bunch of these different players. Um, I think there's a there's a spot on the roster for someone, a developmental player or two. If Daryl Williams proves that he can't play, then he's going to be gone, and they have room for two of those developmental guys. But if there's only room for one, he's he needs to prove that he has more potential and is worth more to them. And, and the position he plays helps, uh, certainly, because tackles are more valuable than guards. So he has that over Butker and Bates and Harrell, even, to a lesser degree. But I think Adams... Um, He's going to need to outplay those guys or at least play at a similar level to them for for them to uh, warrant keeping him ahead of them and potentially losing them for nothing. Adam Redmond was the... Adam Redmond, yes. He's already 27 years old. Adam Redmond is? Yeah. That was in 2017, though, so I get it. Yeah, he's gotten... uh, But yes, he did go to Harvard. My memory served correct. But it's I think that's the the main point in regards to Trey Adams and whether you can sneak him onto the practice squad is the craze for offensive linemen, especially at the end of the preseason. Uh, you know, injuries around the league happen. So few teams have depth at that position. And I still don't know if the Bills offensive line is a good offensive line, but I can once again say for the second straight year, it is a deep offensive line. Uh, there's not a huge, huge drop off, uh, and they're deeper than most teams at that position. Problem is, they didn't get great results out of the starters last year, and they didn't do a ton to upgrade there this offseason, but they are still very deep. And so I think that might make it hard for Trey Adams to make the roster in some ways, but it also might, you know, give him give them the end because they they say look we need to continue to develop uh and we've got plenty of depth so let's have this you know guy along for the ride a little bit develop him and they might be afraid to lose him and maybe again we see some offensive lineman trades because that seems to happen more frequently than at other positions in the preseason teams looking to fill out their roster with offensive linemen so um I think the Bills have some candidates there, guys that other teams might be interested in. And the amount of experienced offensive linemen they have returning uh, and the few that they added, Evan Bame and, and Darrell Williams, it gives them a pretty good you know, complement of players to potentially move some guys around, get some picks. And uh, mm-hmm. it's going to be an interesting puzzle to figure out, uh, I think, for sure, uh, at along the whole offensive line and, um, the starting group needs to be better. And there's some injuries, um, you know, off season surgeries that we'll see how guys look, but, uh, it'll be, it's always one of the, the more entertaining positions to follow in camp, just because the numbers game is, is tricky. And you know, that the, 
the thirst for, for offensive linemen around the league is very real. My guess is that they attempt to flip two of these young guys, whether it be Trey Adams, Butker, uh, Ryan Bates, Marquell Harrell. I think I think they'll try to flip a couple of those guys for picks once they get closer to the end of preseason and injuries start to rack up and all of those different things and teams start to figure out that the guys that they don't, that they have can't play. I think that that will be the time where Bean tries to strike for some more late round stuff. And uh, I mean, the Wyatt Teller deal helped um, influence their their uh, their trade to go get stuff on Diggs. So so that that helped them in that regard and and it left them with a somewhat normal draft class this year so that uh, it it all it all helps whenever they can deal away a guy that they're not going to keep for for something rather than losing him for nothing all right we're going to get to the defense in just a minute because you know there's there's a few guys but i don't think as many as the offense in terms of rookies that you really need to monitor but before we do, I wanted to get you some uh, some messages from our sponsors. The first is from Hawthorne. Are you still wearing the same cologne or uh, using the same soap or shampoo you were from high school or early on in college? Well, Hawthorne is here to tell you smelling good is important. And Hawthorne smells really good. And getting that Hawthorne cologne is easy as well. As soon as you log on to their website, uh, they ask you to take a quiz, which takes all of two minutes. And essentially, you go on there, you answer a bunch of questions about yourself, and they create your own personalized algorithm to figure out what scents best suit you. And then from there, you can choose whatever you throw in your cart. If you want to do subscription, you can do that for a little bit less. But after you do that, you see all of your different options, and you can add things as a one-time only right into your cart. They ship it to you, and it's there to you within the week. Pretty cool. And I went for a couple of bars of soap and the, the face stuff, and quite literally, it is a brick of soap that is going to last a very long time, and I got two of them, so I'm set up for, for quite some time. So be sure to check out Hawthorne and take that quick two-minute quiz where they can tell you which colognes, soaps, shampoos are best for you, and it's totally risk-free with free shipping and free returns. So check out Hawthorne at hawthorne.co. That's Hawthorne with an E and .co, not .com. Hawthorne.co and use our promo code ATHLETIC to get 10% off your first purchase. That's Hawthorne.co and use our promo code ATHLETIC to get 10% off your first purchase. Hawthorne.co. And another message from Hydrant. Did you know that 75% of us are walking around everyday life chronically dehydrated? We are suffering needlessly from frequent headaches, energy slumps, and poor focus. It doesn't have to be this way. Hydrant creates flavored electrolyte packets you mix directly into your water to make hydrating your body easy and delicious. Each rapid hydration mix has the four essential electrolytes your body needs. Sodium, potassium, magnesium, and zinc help you hydrate quickly and stay hydrated all day. And Hydrant is backed by research. The formula was developed by Oxford scientists to provide perfectly balanced, efficient hydration. There's no synthetic colors or artificial sweeteners. The formula is vegan, and you can choose between three different flavors or a variety pack. Hydrant starts at just a buck a packet for a 30-day supply. You can save even more with a monthly subscription. And for 25% off your first order, go to drinkhydrant.com football. That's drinkhydrant.com football for 25% off your first order. Drinkhydrant.com football. All right, so let's 
hop over to the defensive side of things. And again, I think a lot of us have a good, uh, just like Zach Moss with the offense, I think a lot of us have a pretty good handle on who A.J. Epinesa is, where he'll fit in to the defense this year, and what potentially he can do down the line. But I wanted to focus perhaps more on some of the other guys that uh, that could make a difference. And there aren't many. I mean, it was the draft was basically offense heavy outside of Epinesa. They drafted Dane Jackson um, in the seventh round. And then from there, it was a bunch of undrafted guys. So I think I think Dane Jackson is an interesting case. And I'm interested to hear what what you think of him and how he kind of slots in and uh and because I, I think he could he could be uh, he could way outplay where, where they drafted him in that late seventh round. Yeah, they they have a history of getting guys to outperform their draft spot at that position. And he, you know, Brandon Bean made a point to say that that he can very much play outside. And I, I think he I think he has a, a, a good shot to carve out a role. And again, another guy that might be tricky to sneak onto the the practice squad, depending on how he plays in the preseason, they've put themselves in an interesting spot with, um, by taking the, the kicker in the sixth round, he's not a lock to make the team by any no. means. And so mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, we, maybe have to readjust exactly how we think of the draft picks, because even though Dane Jackson is a seventh round pick, uh, they're not necessarily keeping that first sixth round pick. Uh, maybe they do, maybe they don't, but, um, you know, different roster spots will open up because of that. But I think what they've done at cornerback, I, I, I like what they did at cornerback this off season. I didn't think they needed to necessarily, invest a high high pick in a guy that could play on the boundary uh and instead they you know added a few cheap veterans uh you know josh norman um on a reasonable deal ej Gaines uh came back and levi wallace is still a pretty good player but i think i like dane jackson's ability to move um you know inside and outside if they need him to and uh, i like the way he plays the football um which shouldn't come as a surprise considering that's what they look for in their corners. You know, guys that are willing to play the football guys that are uh, willing and able tacklers. Uh, And I think he fits both of those and played in a system at Pitt that should make Buffalo's system pretty familiar for him. Uh, It it should Mm -hmm. be one that, that translates pretty well. Uh, Not, you know, exactly, but I, I think, uh, the, the culture will be a match. And I think there'll be some concepts that, that he'll find, um, pretty familiar. He's, he seems to be a smart football player. So I, I like him and, um, I'm curious to see where he fits in when, when they hit the field and, and what he looks like. He's certainly going to have a chance to, uh, you know, sink or swim basically against these receivers. Uh, it's going to be, uh, tough sledding for some of these corners uh, to go up against the receivers on the bottom half of this depth chart, which is a refreshing change um, from past years. But uh, I think he's got a chance to to make a name for himself in camp by going up against some of those high profile guys. Yeah, and from watching a, a bunch of stuff with Dane Jackson, it was it was kind of fun to watch 
him versus Gabriel Davis for the little time that they actually line up, line him up in front of him. Uh, Jackson only lined up in front of him, I think, for the first quarter, maybe a little, a few plays into the second quarter. But Jackson did not allow a catch to Davis in that in that first quarter, which was which was pretty interesting to me. Um, the quarterback play at UCF not the greatest, but they do like to siphon targets to Davis. So uh, Jackson was good in that respect. I think he has a chance to be successful on the outside, but I do think some of the the stuff that he can't control will end up hurting him in this defense and potentially with how uh, how impactful he could be for them. Uh, you know, they usually look for the size, the the long arms, and you know, a little bit uh, a little bit more uh, weightier than uh, than what Jackson brings to the table. Um, and he doesn't have any of those things. The reason why they like length is because when you're in zone coverage, dropping back and being able to cover up the, the soft spot in the zone, having those long arms are sometimes the difference or being tall enough is sometimes the difference between tipping a pass and making it incomplete and for the from the ball dropping right in for a completion. So I think that might be a little bit of a challenge for him, but I I just look at him and what he does, all the things you lined up, being super competitive. Like, like this dude is fun to watch. And being that willing tackler, being able to weave through blocks, being able to stick with a guy in these these short to intermediate routes and being right on his hip. That all, and being able to handle change of direction pretty quickly. That all, to me, screams nickel. Like, I know Taron Johnson has that job, but he doesn't really have a firm backup. Last year, they wound up going with a a three-pack of players to replace Taron Johnson with Kevin Johnson, Dean Marlowe, and Saran Neal that changed by where they were within, within the series, the defensive series, and what situation, what they thought the offense was going to present them with. And that's a dangerous game to play because it exposes yourself when, when you could have a player that... It, you know, kind of does all of the things that maybe uh, that maybe you would want um, those three players to do. So I like Jackson, the, the competitiveness. I don't think he'll win the job from Taron Johnson, but I do think he has a chance to be on the roster this year and be active every game because I also think his skill set translates incredibly well to special teams. The competitiveness, the tackling, the weaving through blocks, all of these different things, that helps. And I think uh, the special team, uh, the special teams uh, part of the equation helps him infinitely. And uh, he could develop, I think, into a pretty good gunner on coverage uh, if, if, he, if he develops correctly. So uh, I like Jackson quite a bit. I... I I think he has a better chance to make the team than or has a more capable chance based on how the roster is set up than Hodgins and Tyler Bass uh, just because and not to slight those guys by any means, but their situations are worse than what um, Jackson might be facing because EJ Gaines, even though he started for the team in 2017, everyone remembers that when you look at his contract, it is as it is as basic as you'll find for a one-year prove-it deal. We're talking low salary, salary cap hit of just about just a little over seven hundred thousand dollars. His signing bonus was only twenty-five thousand dollars, which is which sounds like a lot to to us, but in, in terms of NFL, what guys that are getting five hundred two hundred fifty 
thousand to five hundred thousand signing bonuses. Twenty five thousand is like undrafted rookie uh, level. He just wanted a shot in a system that he knew. But I don't know that that uh, they would necessarily keep EJ Gaines ahead of a Dane Jackson if Jackson shows the ability to play on the inside. Yeah, uh, and I, I think Gaines is a guy that they they signed because they know him and they know that when he's healthy, he can play well. I don't think they signed him planning to rely on him. And, right. you know, the money certainly suggests that, but so does the injury history. They know that better mm-hmm. than anybody, um, given the, the two times they've had him already. So he's not a guy that you can count on at this stage in his career. He's a good player when he's healthy, a, a really good player at times. But he's just not healthy often enough, which is why I think the contract is structured the way that it is. And uh, if he can make it through the preseason healthy, then, you know, maybe he ends up on the roster. But that's far from a guarantee uh, based on what's happened uh, the last you know few times they've had him. So they've had some success developing defensive backs that they take later, uh, getting a little bit more out of them than you would probably expect. And I think Dane Jackson has a chance to be one of those. Uh, they added a few guys in undrafted free agency as well. And uh, one I like is Josh Thomas from Appalachian State. See what I did there, listeners. I got accosted for pronouncing that wrong. Um, so I think I got it right. Appalachian State, not Appalachian. Who are we talking about Appal- when we talked about App State before? Not Appalachian State. We were talking about, um, I think we were talking about Jake Fromm, and I said something along the lines of, you know, he was doing this against the SEC, not the Appalachian states of the world. Mm. And I got in trouble from a listener. He was very uh, a loyal listener, but... A disappointed one on that day who i hope is um more uh more pleased listening to this um but i like josh thomas safety so the path to the roster is a little bit different could maybe play in the slot a little bit um i still don't think anybody that you get in undrafted free agency or um is necessarily a, a lock to to make the team uh, at that position. I don't know that you're necessarily looking at this guy in that nickel role, the big nickel role as a six foot, 205 pound guy, but he could do it. And I think he's, they don't have, you know, a wealth of depth at safety. Uh, they, they've got Jaquan Johnson, um, Dean Marlowe can play, but I think it seems like they made a bit of an effort to go out and get some defensive backs uh, late in the draft and um, in undrafted free agency. You look at Ike Brown, uh, the corner they signed, uh, Garrett Taylor, another safety from Penn State. So, you know, they added a few guys to the mix and maybe they think one of them can crack the roster. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up um, the undrafted guys. It's it's interesting because you brought up Thomas and actually on the flip side, Garrett Taylor was actually the one that caught my eye when I was going back and watching him because I think he's kind of in that mold in what they look for with safeties. Um, he he flipped between strong safety and free safety uh, pretty frequently uh, when in in the games that I watched from from Penn State and seemed like he had a good understanding of where he needed to be on the field, a sound tackler, 
Um, usually they're, he's not going to fall for the juke in front of him, and, and he's able to be a, a solid last line of defense. And uh, there are some workable traits there for him. And uh, I'm, I'm glad you brought up the fact that it's not necessarily difficult or as difficult to crack the roster at safety than it is at some other spots because I think Jaquan Johnson is pretty safely on the team. They like him a ton, and they want to continue his development. Dean Marlowe is someone that has been with Sean McDermott literally since 2015. There was like a a five-month lull in 2017 when McDermott first got to Buffalo, and uh, he was placed on IR by the Panthers then uh it was just then, a long distance relationship yeah it was point. it was a long distance relationship but he eventually hooked back on in December of 2017 and has been with the Bills since and they like Marlowe because he's he's versatile uh, McDermott knows he can trust him and all of these and he's uh, he would be the veteran option if one of uh, Jordan Poyer or Micah Hyde got injured, but I don't necessarily know that he is a hardcore shoo-in to make the roster. I mean, whichever one of these guys, whether it be Taylor or Thomas, they would need to completely outplay him in order for the Bills to to cut Dean Marlowe, but it's not impossible, and so that's why those two guys are at least slightly interesting. And, you know, you brought up the the big nickel spot. It, Thomas could be interesting for that. I think another name that could as well is a guy that's not technically a rookie, but, well, he's technically a rookie, but wasn't from this year's draft class. And that's Mike Bell, who they went out and signed immediately after the draft. They signed him on April 27th, and he was a college safety who is now up to 220 pounds. They have listed him at linebacker. He has the explosiveness you're looking for um, out of that big nickel spot, potentially. He has the length. I think his arm length is around 32 and a half inches. Uh, he, and, and it would be a tough ask for a guy to come in and steal that job for either Saran Neal or Dean Marlowe. But the fact that they had a backup plan for not getting a big nickel in the draft, and that was Mike Bell. I think that that says a lot for how perhaps how they're projecting him into learning their defense. Now, I don't know where he'll fit in. I'm sure he'll get some linebacker drills as well. But they do have a uh, a little habit of listing guys at positions where they don't actually play. Like they still have Saran Neal listed listed as a safety on their on their official roster on their website, and Saran Neal hasn't taken a safety rep since 2018. So uh, I I wonder how much of linebacker Mike Bell will play, uh, and maybe he slots in and gets some big nickel reps, and maybe he's a, a practice squad guy that they can develop in the background and don't have to worry about him having to. Uh, clear waivers because they think he'll he'll pretty safely be there so bell and taylor were the two that that uh, kind of stood out to me as ones with a chance as uh in in some of the the weaknesses on the roster yeah they listed bell as a safety at rookie minicamp last year and right now he's a linebacker so that gives you some idea of them not being dead set on him being one or the other and there's you know that one spot where um, you can do a little bit of both uh, in this defense. Yep. So uh, he's obviously got uh, you know a, a, a chance to to carve out 
a role because he can do something a little bit different. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think those are guys that, that they like to keep around. The fact that they, you know, took another chance on him uh, after, you know, last year getting a look at him uh, tells you a little bit of something about the impression that he left. And the other undrafted guy um, that will be uh, potentially a popular one is Reggie Gilliam. Uh, mm, hopefully I'm yep. pronouncing his name right. Um, he is a, a guy that could play special team. He's a really good special teams player. Uh, and that's sort of how he carved out his, um, you know, his, his spot in the league at this point. Doesn't move that well for, uh, you know, there, he's a fullback. Uh, he doesn't move tremendously well. So might be tough for him to unseat Patrick DeMarco, but not impossible. Uh, and, you know, we've seen them keep guys for special teams reasons before. And uh, the fact that that is his specialty and, and they went out and grabbed him uh, says says something about him. He certainly seems to have the, the mentality that they like. Um, I just didn't see a ton in terms of how he moves around that, that left me, um, you know, intrigued by his potential on offense. But um, we know how they feel about special teams players, so he's worth keeping an eye on. Yeah, I agree there. And I think it would, he would have to completely outplay Patrick DeMarco because Patrick DeMarco, I think you and I can both agree, are is one of Sean McDermott's guys. Loves him, loves him in the locker room, uh, loves what he brings from a leadership perspective, uh, loves the fact that he plays all the special teams units. And with DeMarco in the final year of his deal and being one of the first free agents that McDermott signed before Bean even came around. Uh, I think that all kind of lends itself to DeMarco being on the team in 2020 unless Gilliam completely outplays him. But I do think that signing Reggie Gilliam in this offseason as an undrafted player gives them the runway to get him onto the practice squad because he's not one of those guys that they're going to have to worry about, likely, to get scooped up on on waivers. I mean, that's just not what happens with fullbacks anyway, and or at least not usually. So they can develop him in the background as a practice squad player. Maybe if they, they need him late in the year or if there's a, a vacant roster spot that they can call him up and just make sure that they, they keep withhold his rights uh, as opposed to having someone come and poach him but this is this kind of screams of an opportunity for him to take that fullback job in 2021 and move forward with it because you know DeMarco's on the final year of his deal and we we could see a bit of a uh, them move on from DeMarco because he would probably cost a lot more than Gilliam um DeMarco's now in his 30s and if Gilliam is a good special teams player and fullback isn't is a somewhat of a role, but not a huge role in that offense, then I could I could definitely see them using him there in 2021. But it's it's all about the chance at hand in 2020. Show enough in training camp and preseason to earn a spot on the practice squad, then develop in the background, learn from DeMarco, and then in 2021, compete so the job can be yours. I think that's a that's a pretty good track for him. Yeah, certainly. And, you know, talking about these guys and some of the later round guys and, and watching more of them, it has driven home that this is the time of year where we're supposed to be watching them on the field and yeah. seeing what they actually look mm-hmm. like and getting a better 
understanding and that's all still on the shelf but uh i think it'll be it'll be fun to watch this group of of younger players because you really get an idea of how they fit in when they're you know out there against veterans and they're not going to have they're not going to have that rookie mini camp to to get their feet wet or that you know that time in the the spring to kind of figure things out they're they're probably going to get thrown right into the mix it you know, it sounds mm-hmm. like it's possible that that some you know teams will return to their facilities in some capacity in June, but it sounds far from definite that there'll be any sort of mini camp. Um, so we could be looking at training camp as the first uh, time these guys are thrown in against veterans, and that is uh, that's a big ask. But you also get mm-hmm. a, a good idea of of what they look like and and how they stack up pretty much right from the jump. Yep. Absolutely. And the good news is it's still only May 29th. So there's a lot of time between now and the potential start of training camp for things to improve even further. And more leagues are getting things going. The Premier League just announced that uh, they're they're going to jumpstart their league starting on June 17th. And the UK was behind the US in terms of, you know, closing everything down. So uh, that's that's somewhat encouraging, and it seems like the NBA starting to figure out their stuff, and the NHL officially <laughs> canceled the rest of the season for the Buffalo Sabers and six other teams that didn't qualify for their postseason. So they're they're all trying to figure it out, which leads to probably the most optimism that we've had that uh, football is going to happen. Don't know if fans are going to be in the stands, but the, and that there could even be a training camp because a lot of these teams have to go through training before they get back and start to play these games and uh i believe the premier league went back to full contact training um uh recently in their built three-week build-up towards the restart of their season so all all these all these signs are looking good at the moment so uh, hopefully they continue to and then we get to actually see these guys on the field all right matthew fairburn um thank you much for your time uh one uh one final uh, parting of the ways words for our listeners this time around in this late May podcast, our last podcast of May. Well, I'll let people know that um, last night I so I got Madden for the first time in like I don't even know how long. It's been a long time, and so I'm getting familiar with it probably since college. So I'm thinking like five or six years, um, and. I had to refamiliarize myself with all the game modes and things of this nature. And last night I discovered that I can start a franchise mode and take over. You can play different roles and you can play the role mm-hmm. of a player. Ooh. And so can you see where I'm going with this? Uh, you, <laughs> did you actually do this? Did you actually spend I'm two, part of your I'm life two, doing this? I'm two games in oh, and... God. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers are 2-0. <laughs> Blaine Gabbert got his revenge game in week one against the 49ers through four touchdowns. Um, it was, uh, I figured I had to do it to, to entertain the listeners just for this, just for the story, just for the nugget. You, and uh, You literally only did it for the podcast. That's amazing. And so I got, I am, I am 2-0 and it's, the Buccaneers are actually a fun team to play with and they got rid of James Winston anyway. So I figured, you know, having Blaine Gabbert be the quarterback is fine, but it's funny because you're actually just the guy. And so, 
Um, you know, when you hand the ball off, you don't get to control the running back. So I'm just one guy uh, chucking up wow. bombs to Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. But sick. Do you call the play? Yeah, you call all the plays. Okay. And but then after okay. the game, you're, you know, you're getting like texts from players saying, "Feed me the ball more" and stuff like this. And it's actually <laughs> so I'm curious. I don't know how the game works, um, and maybe somebody can enlighten me. But Blaine Gabbert's like a sixty when the game starts, and. I know in old games, you know, it, it varied as the years went on, whereas you could make a guy that was really bad. If you did enough, he'd become a 99. Uh, and then they kind of put a cap on that. And it's like, no matter what you did, a guy would always suck. I'm wondering what the case will be. Like if I go out and throw for 5,000 yards and Blaine Gabbert wins MVP, is he still going to absolutely suck? But I'm, I'm, you can be damn sure I'm going to find out. <laughs> Well, we know how Matthew Fairburn's quarantine is going, getting into the Blaine Gabertian era. It's off the rails. (laughs) Indeed. Same here. Too much, too much soccer and too much FIFA on my end. All right. uh, That'll do it for us. Thanks, everyone, for listening to another episode of the Buffalo Beat. We'll be back next week, which is our first foray into June. And then, uh, and then, yeah, we're, we'll be marching closer to the hopeful beginning of training camp with much more talk of the roster, the bubble, all things like that as we get closer. All right, everybody, thanks so much for listening. For Matthew Fairburn, my name's Joe Biscalia. We will talk to you next week. See you then.